Hey, this is Mike and Tom from Ballpark Bros. You're listening to another great show on the Four Eyed Radio. Check us all out on FourEyedRadio.com. Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in three, two, one. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode 74 and is being recorded on October 18th, 2017. Today's topic, Spectral Scans, Star Trek Discovery, Episode 5, Choose Your Pain. Warning, this is a spoiler-filled episode. I'm Aaron. I'm Eric. And I'm Eric Dewey. And this episode is sponsored by Revenge Lover. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com. And mention this podcast for 10% off your first order. How's it going, everyone? It's a week. <laughs> it is a week. That's true. Feels like it's been a full week already, and it's only Wednesday. So, yeah, you could yeah. say that. Yeah. <laughs> I am totally ready to talk Discovery, because this episode was holy cow. This episode was very, very good, and so much happened. Uh, so much was packed in. Yeah, it wasn't any longer, I don't think, you know, maybe even by minutes mm-hmm. than any of the previous episodes, but it felt like so much was crammed into it. It didn't feel long. Like, I was like, oh, why am I still watching this? But it just felt like they packed a lot in. You know what? This is something I was going to mention later, but I might as well mention it now. It feels like we've been watching this show longer than five episodes, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, it definitely feels that way to me, but then again, I have watched every episode no less than three times each uh, <laughs> me too the last two episodes i watched uh episodes four and five i've watched four times each so i definitely have been watching for more than five episodes <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I mean i've done uh, quite a few rewatches for each episode because i feel like every time i watch it i catch something new yeah see my only complaint is that it's not longer I feel like I want more every time the show ends, which is a good thing. That's how they keep you coming back. <laughs> That's how they're getting those Alexa subscribers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Speaking of which, it was something that the guys on uh, the Engage podcast mentioned. And I thought it was hilarious. Did you guys catch that Michael says the phrase all access she she's like oh and and it gives the tardigrade an all access pass to the (laughs) to the galaxy and i'm like really guys (laughs) they're not just slipping the episode titles into the into the uh into the episodes little self product placement it's eric uh berry Yes. Were you okay with the having the title read in the episode this time um yeah, because it made sense. Like, that okay. was the phrase that... Like, I don't just... Because obviously they're not going to say, well, you know, the butcher cares not for the lamb's cry. I mean, that's that's a title where it's a metaphor. Like, you know I, Lorca is the butcher, or, or it could be taken many ways. I feel like Harry Mudd could have uttered that line and it would have been perfect. I, I feel like we're still going to <laughs> hear it probably at some point in a future episode because notice we didn't get the Battle of the Binary Stars in the Battle of the Binary Stars that came the next episode. Right. I think it's more of a thing where in most cases I think they're titling these after they've made the episodes. I don't think it's a matter of them working the title into the episode. 
I think it's them yeah. picking a line or a bit from the episode and titling it that. So, like, especially with, with the longer titles and such, I think that's going to be, you know, maybe that's from a poem or something that's referenced in the episode or that will be re- referenced at some point in the episode. Or, you know, at some point that conversation is going to be, be mm-hmm. had. Somebody, I bet somebody's going to say that line. It may not have happened in that episode, but I think somebody's going to say that line at some point in this season. Sure. And I I really like the Klingons using the, the phrase, choose your pain, because at first I was like, what the hell are they talking about? And then, you know, they point to that poor guy who gets his freaking neck, like, snapped. That street curb stomp, that was... Uh, oh, ouch. that was brutal. I, I was watching it with my wife, because that's like our Sunday ritual now. She's not good with, like, the blood and all that stuff. So that was pretty brutal, and and she turned away uh, briefly. And I was like, yeah, that's that's pretty brutal. And the dude in the shuttle got stabbed, like, two times. Oh, right. So, yeah, TVMA, this definitely is. Yeah, it's definitely, um, even before the the language that we get later on in the episode, like I said, after, by episode two, I already knew this was not going to be a show for kids, which on yeah. the one hand is somewhat disappointing because Star Trek has always been one of those things that you share with your kids at a young age and, and bring them into it. But I still think it can, because there's so much back catalog of Star Trek. You've got kids you want to introduce yeah. them to Star Trek. You've got how many seasons worth of how many series to do it. You don't have to jump right into discovery. You can, you can right. bring them up to discovery when they're a little bit older. Yeah. I mean, just seeing the twisted bodies in episode three, that was pretty gruesome. Before we dive really into the episode, uh, we have some news, right, Aaron? So, the second Star Trek Discovery novel has been revealed. It will be called Star Trek Discovery Drastic Measures, set ten years before the Battle of the Binary Stars. It was written by Dayton Ward, and will be available on February 6th. 2018 as a 304-page trade paperback priced at $16 in the United States. It'll also be available digitally. Now, what I like about the novels is apparently they are really tied into the production. Uh, Like, production's heavily involved, and I think I saw a tweet from Dan Ward saying that I mean, he's been pretty much polishing this up until they were done shooting the last uh, episode because there's things that they reference and uh, little inferences here and there. So I think it's amazing that we're getting this effort on all sides to tie this universe together. I saw a tweet from David Mack, who wrote the first uh, Discovery novel, Desperate Hours, saying that he w- he was at a, one of the panels uh, at one of the Comic-Cons. I don't remember which one, but he had tweeted, you know, hey, the, this panel was so good, it gave me a bunch of story ideas for the next novel. Oh, man. That was the panel that, uh, that uh, Michelle Yeoh crashed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that was, uh, that was the Paley Fest, this uh, past New York Comic-Con. Uh, that was so fantastic. She wasn't actually on the panel originally. She stood in line to get up and ask a question, and the question she asked is if Captain Giorgio would be back. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, wait a minute. Yeah, there's this great picture I saw on Twitter. There's this fan that's just like mouth agape as they realize that it's Michelle Yeoh. 
and I think that's the person who was next in line to ask a question. So it's like literally like this is a person you've been standing next to her this whole time and you had no clue. Hilarious. But uh, speaking of David Mack's Desperate Hours, I did read this book. I uh, just finished it up last week. I read it. I did the Amazon Kindle version. It's available for around 11 bucks, I think, on Amazon Kindle. Uh, 11.99 available on Kindle right now. Very this nice. book was very, very, very good. Um, it was a quick read, and by that I don't want that to, to mean that I feel I got shortchanged by it at all. It very much felt like a single episode of one of the more episodic series, like a TOS or a next-gen type series, where mm-hmm. everything was pretty much contained in the story. You know, the, the story that was told in this book, while it ties into the other things that we see going on in Discovery, it's not dependent upon them. So you can read this book and not watch the show. Why you would, I don't know, but you could. And, of course, you can watch the show and not read this book. And this book just adds some things. Uh, for those of you who are fans of Captain Giorgio, get a lot more Giorgio in this book. You get some uh, interaction, a lot more interaction between her and Michael, which is fantastic. Uh, Saru, you get a little bit more of him. Not, not too much. He doesn't play a huge part in the book, but he's there. What you do get that we have not seen in the show yet at all is interaction between Michael and Spock. They have direct interaction throughout the majority of this book. The majority of this story is them working together for a specific goal. So it's really, really cool because you've got the Shenzhou and the Enterprise, Captain by Pike, in mm. this story. You know, and you know they're going through there. They, they've got a, a problem to solve. They've got to solve it. You know, they've got limited time, hence the title "Desperate Hours." And as we all know, desperate times lead to desperate measures. So that's why we get the next development uh, ah. uh, of the or drastic drastic measures. You know, desperate times lead to drastic measures, and that's kind of you know how the the titles are going in these books. So I'm really looking forward to the new book because I want to to hear more about the before. But, uh, yeah, in Desperate Hours, you get to find out a little bit more of that interaction that Saru talks about in this episode of Discovery. Mm. He's jealous of Michael for getting to be Giorgio's first officer. Uh, This is the book where she gets that promotion, where she goes from being uh, a lieutenant commander, science officer or whatever she was, to being first officer, actually acting first officer in this case. I mean, so we really get to see that first interaction of her getting promoted over Saru at that time because basically they were kind of equal up to that moment. So it it does give a little bit of backstory into Saru's anger and his issues that we see in this episode. So I definitely highly recommend it. You can pick it up. I'm looking right now on Amazon. It's only 11 bucks on Amazon for a paperback copy of it. There's used versions available for 10 bucks or less. And like I said, the Kindle version is 12 bucks. Um, I'm sure the Nook version is probably about the same. Usually newer books are the same price on all platforms. But So whatever your preferred platform is, I highly recommend reading this book if you're following Discovery. It will definitely add to the story. Now, let me ask you a question. Did you picture Leonard Nimoy or Zachary Quinto when you were... <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> As I was reading, the, the picture that most formed in my mind was actually a young Leonard Nimoy. I okay. did did kind of trigger that vision. However, if they chose to bring Quinto in to Discovery as Spock at some point as a cameo or anything like that, I would not have a problem with that in any shape, way, or form. I'll tell you that right now. That would be fine by me. But as I was reading the book, no, it was it was a young Nimoy I was picturing. Okay, yeah, that's fair. 
Do they talk about like their time growing up? Very little, but there's enough there to kind of help bring it up. I don't want to do any any real spoilers on the book. Okay, sure. But there is some discussion there about their different interaction both with Sarek and with Amanda. So there's some very interesting mm. uh, stuff going on there that I definitely highly encourage you to read the book because that is definitely a good, a good, good question because, yes, that is a good part of what this book deals with. I will give a slight spoiler because I don't really think it, it makes that big a difference, but we do have a uh, Spock-Michael mind meld in the book. So there's a lot uh, of questions that get answered when that happens. Now, it'll be interesting to see how this ties in later in the series because, you know, there are those rumors that we will see uh, Amanda Grayson in well, that, Discovery. I don't think it can be a rumor, really, when they've cast the actress who's going to play well, her. Okay, well, <laughs> I mean... But, but you know what I mean. Like, the name of the actress, but yeah, I, I heard that they had officially cast her and announced her as, as the character, as the person who's going to play Amanda. I, I can't think of the actress's name off the top of my head. I know she was, I believe, in the L word previously. There were some people complaining that they didn't think that she was a strong enough actress. I don't know that I've seen her in anything to, to make that judgment call. So uh, I will wait and see. I trust so far. The casting that I've seen from this show thus far leads me to believe that they know what they're doing. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> I have had no complaints thus far about the casting, so I'm not going to start complaining when I haven't even seen any of the work yet. <laughs> well, sounds good. I, I definitely have to pick this up. Maybe I'll read it during the brief hiatus that we'll have. Maybe that'll whet my uh, discovery appetite. So, why don't we move on to Would You Buy It? I... So. I would buy it if it was available in my size. <laughs> and I had the money lying around. Right. I have to answer basically the same. I have to say in its current iteration, I have to say no. Because in order for for me to get one, to, for it to actually fit, I would have to buy two. And the cost is prohibitive enough alone as to mm -hmm. purchase two. That would be out of the question. So while it is very, very cool, and I would love to have one, I would not buy it. I just want to see more fat people in Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I agree with you guys. We need more fat people in Star Trek. <laughs> and th if I could afford it, this is definitely uh, stretching my bank account if I were to purchase this. And what are we talking about? The Star Trek Discovery Anovos Duty Uniform pre-order for summer 2018 for $500. 500 smackaroos. Now, <laughs> the price itself, for the quality that I've heard that you get from Anovos, yeah. I don't think the price is out of line. I think $500, you can get the, jacket, the full jacket and the full pants, and it's screen accurate, They've gone to all the details necessary to make this very good quality. It's got the stretchy parts where you need it. It's got the, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's it's detailed. And it comes with the badges that are available from QMX for, for Discovery. They're tied in with this. If you buy the uniform, you get the badge that matches that uniform with it. So that's 15 bucks. you don't have to spend separately, unless you already have, of course. <laughs> right. Uh, what kills me, though, is that you cannot choose separately the pants and jacket. 
I was looking at the details. You have to yeah. choose one size. And so they have they have jackets that would fit both of us. Like I'm a, I'm a big guy, not as wide as I used to be, but I'm getting there because I haven't been eating right. But I'm I'm large. But I'm also very tall. I'm six foot six. Mm-hmm. And looking at the sizes, in order for me to get a jacket that would be that would have the sleeves long enough for my arms, it would be rather baggy on me in the top, and it would come with pants that would be at least four inches too big for my waist. And in order to get pants that are long enough, I'd have to get the next size down. To get, it's it would end up being in order for me to get one that would actually fit properly, I would have to buy two sets. Because I would need a different jacket than the pants that it comes with. And then I would still probably have to have it altered to mm-hmm. fit me because I need that extra length because I'm tall. And I'm sorry, if I'm spending 500 bucks on something, I want it to fit. You know, you know I spent yeah. 500 bucks suit, maybe. You know, that's, it's going to the extreme. That's pretty much the, the top end of the most I would spend even on a suit for myself. So for 500, I want the thing to fit. And that's just not going to be the case with the way they're currently selling them. Although I will say for uh, a Novos always has amazing quality. They're working directly with CBS and Star Trek to make sure all the details are right. And for discovery, they're literally working directly with the production to make these as close as possible to what's on the show. So there's no question in authenticity, and obviously you're paying that um, for that premium. Even if I was paying $500, I would pay them maybe 50 more to have it actually tailored to me. If I could get this outfit in the quality it is tailored to me for 550 I would probably change my answer to yes, I would buy it. Yeah. I would I would put it on the payment plan they have offered, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but I would buy it. But this would be great for a convention, and the fact that you would be really accurate to the show is pretty cool. And it, it seems like there's so much with this. It's available in Command Gold, Science Silver, Operations Copper. Fabric is 90% athletic spandex and 10% specialty contrast spandex fabric for channel stitching and it's dyed to match the production colors diagonal full-length zipper just like in the show rubberized delta print for the tunic and pant inset detail the panels are custom made side and shoulder striping for tunic and pant is also the raised rubberized print There's a hook and bar attachment points to secure the tunic to the pants for optimal fit. And I think that's what, why they noticed that the, or that's why they said that the pants and and shirt are pretty much together. It's because that, I guess that hook and bar is matched to the size of the suit, I guess. And then replicated zipper pulls as per the original assets. And I don't know, are the zipper pulls like, are those Delta Shields or something? Because I haven't noticed that in the show. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I haven't uh, looked at that closely. I mean, they're cool. They're honestly the coolest uniforms I think we've gotten since maybe the. I think maybe the only Starfleet uniform that I like better than this that we've seen on screen mm-hmm. is Captain Picard's uniform. And I think I want to say season six. 
<laughs> of Next Generation. When he got to just kind of go off the rails and it was like everybody else is wearing the same old thing and he's got this like separate jacket and it's like a suede jacket. Yeah, I love that jacket. Oh, yeah, me like, too. But he wore in the, the Darmok and Jalad episode. Yep. Like that outfit was pretty bomb. I'm pretty bomb, right? And now. A, a Novos has made that. Yeah, and that one's ridiculously expensive. <laughs> but it is real suede and, yeah. you know, it's high quality. So. You know, you you pay for quality in these type of things. They also did say, I noticed on their website when I was taking a look at this originally, that they are going to be making the Captain variant available as well. It's just not available for pre-order yet. So if you want specifically the Captain's uniform version, you you will be able to get that as well. And that adds the extra gold on on the shoulders. Yeah, it brings it from the, in the the quote-unquote yoke, if you're Mm -hmm. up on your... uh, (laughs) shirt terminology <laughs> it, yeah it brings that gold that gold piping into the into the yoke area of the uh, shirt the tunic you know i will have to purchase something from a novos because they have all these uh patches and i am a sucker for patches do they have the uh deep space nine niners patch uh i just watched that episode the other day take me out to the hollow suite i've seen people like cosplay as the niners so that patch must be somewhere, unless they're all custom making the patch. I, I think there might be a third party because I don't see that on here. But they are doing patch collection waves, and they did uh, wave one, which is available now. Wave one set is like thirty six bucks, and you get five patches, which is nice, and including the Mako one from the Franklin from oh. Star Trek Beyond. All right, nice. So if they're doing a wave one, I'm sure they'll get to the Niners patch in some wave in the future. My only gripe with the uniform is that the boots aren't included. Yeah, but could you imagine how expensive those boots would be? Because those boots are super detailed. I mean, they, the buckles are, the buckles have the Starfleet Delta. Yeah. For for such a detailed piece of costuming that most people, if you were wearing the costume, wouldn't end up seeing unless you specifically showed them, unless you stopped, raised your pant leg and said, look, look, look at my boots. Most people aren't going to see that. You could pretty much yeah. just wear a black dress boot. Like, I have a pair of black dress boots that I could probably wear with this uniform and get away with it just fine. So, And then you have the added issue of, once again, the sizing. Mm-hmm. You know, it would probably be one of those things where only certain sizes were available and... Me, again, being weird size, I wear a size 14 shoe. So guess what size is usually not available in specialty (laughs) items such as this? Yeah, so I would probably end up not being able to get it anyway. (laughs) But yeah, for 500 bucks, you almost think they would include the shoes. But then again, I've seen some dress boots that are 500 bucks by themselves easily. So you never know. Would you order Saru's special hoof boot? (laughs) I've got bad enough knees as it is. <laughs> yeah. On those things, I would I would kill myself. I have no intention of cosplaying Saru anytime soon. I might have the hype for it. I, I have the hype for it without the boots. But, yeah, no, that's that's going a little to the extreme for me, personally. Yeah, I mean, Saru, Saru is cool, but there's no way I could balance in those shoes. <laughs> yeah, right. I, there, no way in hell. So why don't we move on to our main 
discussion topic tonight, Star Trek Discovery Episode 5, Choose Your Pain. So I figure we should just give a quick breakdown of the episode, at least uh, to get people up to speed. This episode takes place in December 2256, three weeks after the events of The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for The Lamb's Cry. Captain Lorca is captured by the Klingons while returning to Discovery after meeting with Starfleet. While prisoner, we meet Harry Mudd and Ash Tyler. Saru is in command of the Discovery and pushes the ailing tardigrade with a sport drive jump. That's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your pain. Oh, I just loved it when the Klingons came in and said that. Just like you, you could tell it wasn't one of the it wasn't any of the Klingons who had practiced English. It wasn't one of the ones that knew English. It was one of the ones that they knew that. They were told, here, go in, say this. And that's the only English or Federation or basic or whatever you're calling it that they know is that phrase. And they come in and they deliver it so damn well. I'm so glad that we were introduced to Harry Mudd in this way because we already know that he's a con artist. We already know that he's a criminal. And to kind of see the beginning of that is fantastic. Yeah, I thought the Rain Wilson did a, a great job, had his mannerisms down. And I think it, like you said, builds a good backstory for Mud that we'll see in the original series. Yeah, and one of the things that, because it's been a while since I watched like any of the Harry Mud episodes, he's not my favorite character in the original series, because those episodes tend to be on the not-so-great side, but kept mentioning Stella and Stella, and I'm like, did he say that before? Like, there was was Stella then? And then I realized, yeah, Stella was one of the androids that he recreated in that one episode where he was dealing with all the android women. And so, yeah, Stella Mudd, it's just such a callback to the original series and the canon that we've seen before, these guys have really done their homework. I agree. We Rain Wilson is fantastic. I loved him as Harry Mudd. I love the fact that it wasn't Dwight in space, you know, yes, definitely a, a brand new character. You see so much more charisma and duplicity from the Harry Mudd character. And he, he just, he does it so well. And, like you said, we really get to see the beginnings of this character. We see, you know, almost as a throwaway character in the original series. I mean, he was just kind yeah. of this, this this guy who showed up a couple of times and they, they had interactions with him. And really, you know, he probably only showed up the second time because the fans liked him the first time. Everybody loves a good con artist. And when you have that kind of character, you really want to know. How did he get that way? Why did he turn to that life? Why did he turn to uh, this this type of existence? And this is giving us a glimpse of that. This is giving us a little taste of why he might have decided, you know what, lawlessness is fine with me. I'm, I'm okay with this. Because he doesn't respect the, the quote-unquote law, the, the, the mm. federation, people who are quote-unquote in charge right now. He, he doesn't respect them. He feels that they're putting their own onus on this on on the rest of the universe and then you know he's like why should i have to conform i'm I'm not a member of starfleet and he had such a great line he's like well look there's a lot more of us down here than you guys up there and you guys tend to not look down and see what's going on with the little guys and 
That was such a great perspective because in all these Star Trek series, we always see the perspective from Starfleet and we rarely get a glimpse into civilian life. So to come across a character like Harry Mudd is just fantastic because yes, he is a human in this quote unquote evolved future, but he's still doing all these dastardly things and it's giving him a purpose. Like, yes, he said that he had this great life before this war started. And I think it's fascinating that this war and surviving is what pushes him into this criminal underbelly. Right. Well, I think he was into being a criminal beforehand. Yeah. Like with with the moon and the whole alternate yeah. forms of, I, I get that, but it seems like this war has really solidified his view because he's working with the Klingons. Yeah, he, so he's working with the Klingons, and we find out that his pet Stuart, which is a spider-like creature, had a device connected to it, which was relaying information back to the Klingons. And Lorca only found that out because in the interrogation. Laurel used the same phrase that discoveries like a ghost. Yeah. And I think that was smart of Lorca to kind of plant certain terminology. He was constantly thinking because in that cell, he knows that he can trust no one. He even called Ash Tyler a liar. He's like, oh, well, I guess I'm just lucky or a liar. <laughs> yeah. On the one hand, I love that they did this to present how the mud character is, you know, the fact that he is willing to not only steal food from his, from, from his co-prisoners, he's more than willing to point to anyone else, but, but himself when it comes time mm-hmm. to choose your pain, but he's also willing to spy on them. However, I do have to call a little BS because I'm sorry, if you're in a jail cell, on a spaceship. Are you really under the impression that anything you say in that cell is not <laughs> being recorded by something somewhere? Do they sure. really need a, a recording device on the back of a spider to record? I mean, it's That's a good their point. jail cell. They probably have listening devices just built into the walls. That's, I mean, if I built a jail cell on my spaceship, it's going to have a camera in it. And that camera is going to have a microphone. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, that's, that's a really good point. And the door that's there has, like, an opening in it. So, I mean, a Klingon could just be walking by and, like, just <laughs> listening but, to everything they're saying. But granted, Lorca and Ash, when they were dis- when he was discussing it, Lorca had his voice very low. I know yeah, that... Yeah. I know it's the 24th century, and I'm sure that there are great audio... Or 20th. Pardon my French. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are great 23rd century microphones that can pick up you know all this stuff and i would love to go into the future for getting my podcasting needs but um (laughs) but but yeah so yeah there's really no excuse and yeah it's a bit of a plot hole but i wasn't expecting it i wasn't expecting little spider stewart to be a spy right yeah like i said it's not a big complaint for me because i do think it pushed along the story properly it's just one of those little things that i think about more more after the fact it wasn't enough to take me out of the moment i always say that plot holes are only plot holes to me if they take me out of the moment when i'm watching the show yes i'm watching something and something so weird happens i think wait a minute and suddenly i'm out of the story that's a problem 
this was not one of those times. This wasn't until after the fact that I thought, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> so <laughs> not a big deal. It just something that came up after I'd watched it like, okay, you know what? We got to think about this logically a little here. But it did help drive along not only the Lorca storyline, but also the Mud storyline. Mm-hmm. And it gave Lorca that one extra reason to trust Tyler because he's, you know, which I think, as as we'll discuss here shortly, I'm sure, I think is is the ultimate goal here is that they want Lorca to trust Tyler. And sure. I don't think he should. And I think we're all aware of that at this point. I don't think it's <laughs> a secret. As far as the mud character goes, Rain Wilson did a fantastic job and I'm I'm anxious to see more of him in future episodes. Oh, absolutely. I- yeah, I, I agree. And one special note before we move on. This is the first episode to feature Harry Mud that does not have Mud in the title. This is true. The butcher's knife cares not for the mud. <laughs> Choose your mud. Wait, that doesn't work. <laughs> mud your pain. No, that, that really doesn't Mud your pain. <laughs> Choose mud's pain. <laughs> only got three words to work with and one of them's got to be mud and let's let's think here let's crack down uh, uh, muddy waters i i don't know <laughs> bridge over muddy waters <laughs> bridge over the discovery of muddy waters <laughs> just i just want them to continue to make like super long titles <laughs> I'm I'm cool with that. It just... I'm wondering if we've already seen the longest title we're going to see this this season, or if there's going to be one that's even longer. That's I'm waiting. I'm waiting the, there's another one that comes close. They revealed more titles. Did you guys see that? I did. I didn't really pay much attention to the title but, names. Though. But there is a, there is a title coming up that is in the fine tradition of some of Star Trek's uh, greater episodes, it is a Latin phrase. Ipsum, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lorum ipsum <laughs> font blah 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 uh, Well, um, speaking of Lorca, let's talk about Lorca and his pain in this episode. Indeed. So Lorca is tortured by Laurel and stepping out for a second. I did not know that was supposed to be Lorca during, I mean, <laughs> uh, I did what? not know that was supposed to be Laurel during my first watch. We learned through an exchange with Harry Mudd that Lorca's previous ship was decimated by the Klingons and Lorca destroyed the ship, killing his crew to spare them from being captured by the enemy. Lorca's eye condition comes from this engagement and serves as a reminder to him about what he has done. First of all, we, we don't really hear whether or not he escaped on purpose and blew up the rest of his crew, or if he didn't ex- expect to get away. Like, maybe he got away and blew up the crew and fully expected to be captured and tortured and killed, and somehow got away, like got lucky. We we don't yeah. know what led to the fact that he was the sole survivor. As much of a jackass as this guy <laughs> might be, he doesn't strike me as a, a chicken. He doesn't strike me as right. the kind who would ditch out, blow up the rest of his crew, knowing that he was going to escape. I feel like if he knew he was going to escape, he'd have taken as many people as he could with him. You know, so there would have been at least a few more survivors. So I feel we're. I'm hoping that we're going to get more of the story of the what was it the the burnt the Burna? Was that the, what was the name of the ship? Uh, b- the Buran. And I looked it up, and apparently that's named after, I think it's like the first Soviet 
space thing? Yeah, it was, a, it was a Soviet. I think it was an unmanned Soviet space plane that got destroyed in a uh, a weather accident that like that is correct. Um, yeah, so it's kind of cool that they use that name, and you know, I like that they're bringing in things that aren't just American things, and you know, kind of that inclusivity of Star Trek that we know that the Earth is unified at this point. Yeah, we might be fighting the Klingons, but the Earth at least <laughs> is unified. Yeah, and I think his eye condition. I think because he says he basically blows up the ship. I think he looked directly into a warp core breach explosion which you know is not a good thing i mean that 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 thing will light up like a couple hundred stars so yeah it's it's crazy and when he says to harry that hey that's only half right you only have half the story and that ties back earlier in the episode when Lorca is at that Starfleet briefing. When Admiral Cornwell is talking to him alone, she's talking to him about accepting Michael Burnham onto his crew, you know, Starfleet's first convicted mutineer. And she says that he shouldn't want people to think worse of him for taking on Burnham in addition to how they already think of him. Right. So he has a bad reputation in Starfleet because obviously, you know, a lot of captains go down with their ship or they try to save as many people as possible. So for him to be the sole survivor, whether he's a coward or not, it doesn't matter because it's going to get people talking negatively about him. So he already has this reputation in Starfleet and hopefully that next novel, because we're going further back because this event happened only one month into the war. So going further back 10 years, hopefully that next novel will maybe go a bit deeper into his personality and maybe he's less of a hardened, you know, warmonger because maybe something happens because you don't just become a jackass, you know, <laughs> you, uh, th- there's events that are tested and they test you. And yeah, I think Lorca is a fascinating character as much of a dick as I think he is. Sometimes it's really fascinating to see a different type of Starfleet captain than what we're used to. My first question when I heard this backstory and I'm like, okay, so this is what happened. How in the world did he end up captaining the Discovery? Like, of all, like, shouldn't he be captaining a freighter or something at this point? Like, wouldn't Starfleet have relegated him to the least, you know, battle-ready ship in the world? And then I thought about it. They kind of did. The Discovery and the Glen were were science ships. Mm-hmm. Even in a time of war, they were supposed to be science ships. They were working on this other thing. And I'm pretty sure most of Starfleet thought it was never going to work. So they thought, you know what, fine, you know what, put Lorca on his little science ship, let him let him do his thing, let him study his weapons and play with spores and whatever, whatever. Just keep him as far away from the battle as possible. Yeah, I get that, but he's so insistent on saying, hey, well, you guys gave me all this latitude. Now, were they just giving him all this latitude and stuff, just as lip service? And now he's taking it seriously or always thought it was serious? That, that is another interesting question. I, and I wonder, again, if there's some, you know, maybe there's more to the story. Again, before even the event that we're talking about, in, in the, like you said, in this novel that we're going to get, are we going to find out that 
maybe he's a serious war hero at some point or some sort of he's done something just absolutely spectacular that Starfleet just absolutely was phenomenal about. And then he did this other thing and people are like, oh, well, now we don't think as highly of him, but we can't completely dismiss him because he still did this other thing that was good. So Mm -hmm. here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you this science ship give you complete latitude to do it with it as you please so that you have to interact with the rest of Starfleet as little as possible. You know, that's the best way to, to shun somebody is to give, here you go, have this, have your little, here's your sandbox. You play in it. We won't bother you. You don't bother us type of situation. Like they gave him the discovery, told me you do whatever you want over there. As long as it's over there. (laughs) And another thing I, I just thought about this Captain Lorca kind of reminds me of the captain in Star Trek Beyond who turned into a crawl where he's a captain that has experienced a war and he's a hard ass and he'll do anything he can. I'm not saying that Lorca is going to go all crazy and betray the Federation or anything. So I think I'm really interested in his character and I like that we're getting these hints of backstory in, in normal dialogue because I almost missed it because Cornwall said, hey, do you really want to give everyone another reason to hate you, essentially? And now we find out why people dislike him, and it was because of that story. And he also had a great line towards the end of the episode where he says, it's it's people's choices to choose their own pain, and that was my pain to choose. Yeah, I love these episode titles. They're really good. <laughs> they work on, on many different levels. They do. They're pretty awesome. Well, what do you think of Lorca, Aaron? Uh, me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I I dig Lorca. I think the backstory makes me feel for him more than I did in previous episodes. I think... The hardness and the wanting to get back at the Klingons shows a lot more now. Yeah, and think of all the guilt that he must be carrying for, you know, having all of his crewmates die Mm -hmm. and him having to make that choice and that sacrifice because he would basically rather have them die than be publicly tortured at Kronos. It kind of reminds me of of Kirk in Star Trek six, where he's saying that I'll never forgive them for, for killing my son. Mm-hmm. I kind of see some parallels there between Kirk and Lorca in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with you as far as the, the parallels there. We, we have seen some traits of different captains show up within Lorca. I mean, Lorca is definitely a different kind of captain than we've ever seen before, but we are getting glimpses of, of some of the similar motivations, and it's very interesting to see. Like you said, it's a, it could be a similar situation, but we saw what Kirk did with that. Mm-hmm. And now we get to see what maybe somebody else would do with that type of motivation, and it's not nearly as noble, not nearly as, as wholesome. You know, he's kind of going the other direction with it, and it would be very, very interesting to see. Just a, a little side note thing. I hate that Lorca's catchphrase, a.k.a. go, 
is rubbing off on Saru. When Saru was in command and he just says, go. I'm like, there's no way to make go sound cool, you know? And Saru tried, and it was just horrible. There's no way for Saru to make it sound cool. I think it does sound cool when Lorca says it. Because the way he says it, and the way he's like, like it, it's because of not just the word go, it's the build-up. He's like, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Go. It's like, yeah. Yeah, that's all he needs to say. Like he's already said everything that needs to be said. We've got this single syllable, and that's all we need. <laughs> but I just thought it was funny that Saru was saying, and I'm like, no. That we we look at this and we see in this episode that you know Saru has to take command, and one of the first things he does is try to look how other mm-hmm. captains have had command. Like uh, let, let me let me bring up a list of the most decorated Starfleet captains. Oh. And, Tell me uh, what, how they compare to me. And like he's trying to emulate these other people instead of being himself. And then the moment yeah. when it comes down to a decision that needs to be made, he forgets all that and just goes with his instincts. And it's right. It's what needed yes. to be done. Because if he'd, have, if he'd have done what any of those other captains would have done, he very, might well, very may well have just shot Lorca. So the fact that he... he ditched all that and went to his own instincts there at the end oh. gives me gives me hope for his ability to to command at some point in the future and, and i loved it when he came to that realization he was using his own culture to inform him about the situation about predatory packs and you know all of that when when the shuttles were flying around and that was so brilliant like saru was actually coming into his own like should we should we shoot him and he's like wait a minute I recognize this. They're, yes. Oh, they're chasing that one. Why would they be chasing one of their own? That's ours. Get him. My question with that is, don't sure. they have sensors that can scan to figure out if there are humans aboard? Can we just forgive that? Because that was such a great scene of him figuring no, it no, out. No, that's, that's <laughs> good. Seen any? I, I don't know that they've used that specific technology yet. In Discovery, I haven't seen... Well, have they've you seen, used it in Enterprise. They've, they've said they say, well... No, they've always been able to distinguish different life form species. Yeah, yeah. They, they've used it in Enterprise. They should have been able to scan But maybe, maybe these funky shuttles have something different with them. They, they did have their shields up at the time. They, so that's they true. Shields... You know, they couldn't scan through that. You know, they couldn't transport them out until they had lowered their shields. And that's how we saw, you know, they had to boom, transport them out right away because the ship got destroyed. Couldn't they look through the window? God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I will forgive. I'm taking uh, Dewey's advice. And if it if it's a plot hole that doesn't take me out of the moment, I will forgive it. I think that's a very good rule to follow. I guess I agree. Because, no, it was such a great moment seeing... No, the scene was great. I, I agree. Yeah, but you're you're thinking too much into it, okay? <laughs> I know, I know. There, there are so many explanations we could throw out to retcon this. I mean, we could be like, they were they were within sensor range of seeing the ships, but not within sensor range of being able to identify... Uh, they they were kind of like right there. I mean... The shields the... <laughs> interfered there. With their, I mean, if they, their they had to be close enough to transport them, so okay, firing. You know, maybe okay. there was some interference <laughs> because of the firing going on between uh, the ships. You know, they could. I, I, they could... Uh, okay, but but also one thing that I liked about uh, Saru in this episode. I mean, a ton of growth 
for Saru, and and we'll get into that in a little bit because we still got to talk about Ash Tyler and his situation. I loved it when Saru almost looked at the camera and was like, "I know what I did," <laughs> and and that was that was perfect. But his worriness in the beginning gave us one of the most awesome Easter eggs I've seen in Star Trek, at least oh, yeah. for Discovery. When I saw Jonathan Archer's name pop up, I, I did like a fist pump. I was like, yeah. As when I was watching, I was like, yeah, Jonathan Archer. So, yeah. <laughs> and seeing Captain Robert April, we finally have a non-fandom, a non-animated series reference to Captain Robert April, which is fantastic. That was very cool. I, I appreciate the list, and it's interesting that they have Giorgio on there. Hey, he did say most decorated Starfleet captains. And if you notice in the behind the scenes, Captain Giorgio's office, she had a lot of medals from Starfleet. Yeah. Okay. So I think the distinction, it's not like, oh, these are the best captains. He literally said the most decorated captains. What are their traits? Not the best, just the most decorated. But usually most decorated means that they're pretty much the best. It just so happens that three of them come from the Enterprise, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those things. It, it just happens. But let's uh, let's talk about uh, Lieutenant Ash Tyler here. So we have Tyler, who's been aboard the Klingon ship for supposedly seven months, which rings suspicious to Lorca. Taken prisoner at the Battle of the Binary Stars. Right. And Which is said, already suspicious because that was just a big firefight in space. I didn't see Klingons just sticking around to cherry-pick survivors. Yeah, that's a good point, too. Tyler says that the ship's female captain had taken a liking to him, uh, which turns out to be Laurel. Yeah. And so the whole timeline was thrown into question because... Since we saw that Laurel was on the sarcophagus ship for six months, the episode before, it just proves that Lorca is it was right, and Ash, at least in some form, is lying. So, unless the female captain, which is Laurel, took a liking to him in these last three weeks, but that doesn't explain how he survived for seven months. And Lorca calls that out, too. It's like... Dude, no one survives Klingon torture for seven months without a scratch on him. That's when he threw out the, oh, well, well, the captain's taken a liking to me. And that's when it starts to, you know, yeah, you, you definitely get that suspicion. Yeah, I, I do not trust this Tyler fellow. And, of course, we do have the fan theory bouncing around, which, uh, I mean, there's definitely pointers there. There's definitely some serious pointers there. Okay. Uh, now... In the show notes, Aaron, you brought up a point about the actor that I had not known about. So can you talk about that? Uh, sure. Before I begin, I'm going to butcher names. So <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me. So the theory floating around is Ash Tyler is really Vogue. And it's theorized that the name evokes actor Javid. I'm going to say Javid Iqbal. Okay. Javid Iqbal is made up and is really played by Shazad Latif. Thank you. Whose birth name is Shazad Khalik 
Iqbal. So the same last name. Yes. So I actually saw that this morning when I was looking at Memory Alpha. I saw that this actor has a different birth name. And Mm. it has the same surname as the apparent actor of Volk. Which, it's kind of like there, if you dig a little bit like this, the clues are there. But what a twist if this ends up being right. Because... Laurel mentioned in the previous episode, you know, because her clan is all like the liars, the deceivers, the manipulators, and they've made that point. And Laurel said that Voke would have to, quote unquote, sacrifice everything. So does that include his Klingon image, which he holds on to so much? The whole tenant of Takumva's is to remain a Klingon. And so, literally disguising as a dirty human to them would be almost blasphemous. And so, it's it's incredible. My only issue with this is, how did he learn that perfect English in three weeks? Right, because he didn't have any of that accent that Laurel's character had that they made a point to mention in after track and i yes. feel like maybe they did that to throw us off a little bit i think so the other thing if you're looking for imdb clues is the fact that uh, shazad latif is credited for 15 episodes of discovery oh and he's only i mean and him yeah this episode episode 5 which means that he could be in the most 11 episodes as ash tyler Right, so and there is that as well. If you're looking, I mean, mm-hmm. this is why I try to stay off of IMDb when sure. I know there could be spo- because you, you find out spoilers from IMDb just because of credits and stuff. But yeah, if you look at Shazad Latif's credit for Ash Tyler, it says 15 episodes, which we know is the total run of the show, not just from now going forward. But there is the the, the alternate theory, of course, is that these are breadcrumbs that are, have been specifically laid down so that fans will follow them instead of finding out what their real twist might be. So who knows? It may be something completely different, and they've specifically done this yeah. so that people will be focused on this other, the, focused on this, oh, Ash Tyler's Vogue, and then we find out something completely different later on, and we're like, oh my gosh, we had no idea. Um, e- either way, this is going to be the biggest twist in all of Star Trek. It's going to be awesome. One way or the other, the one thing I do know is that I don't trust Ash Tyler farther than I could throw him. Yeah. And that would not change, even if I hadn't seen any of these previous spoilers. Like, even just watching the episode without, you know, because the first time I watched it, I hadn't heard any of this other stuff before. Right. I just watched it, and my first thought was like, I do not trust this guy. I don't know. I I need to rewatch it again and probably be very, very careful in my watching. But did you notice... Yeah, maybe you guys have in your watchings. When they were escaping, I saw Lorca kill many Klingons. I saw Tyler fight a couple of Klingons. I didn't see him kill any he, of them. He definitely point. snapped the neck of one Klingon no, yeah, when they he, were escaping. When they, yeah, right when they were escaping, when they were getting out of the cell. Yeah. But uh, once they once they were out, he lost his disruptor. Real well, yeah, L- Laurel knocked it out of his hand. Thing where he was like, "Oh, I'm too hurt. I can't walk." Uh, and then Laurel shows up, and he just gets up. Yeah. Wait a minute. Five seconds ago, you couldn't walk. What the heck, dude? <laughs> yeah, that's totally suspicious. 
And another thing that I'm thinking where he might not be Voke is because if he likes Laurel or, or loves her or whatever chemistry that they had, would he really be brutally punching her in the face? And Lorca was not in on this plan at all, obviously. So he could have very much well killed her if he didn't miss. Because those Klingons disruptors are set to kill, son, because they Dude, literally yeah, disrupt. I to rewind and watch that scene real quick. So I'm like, how did she get shot and not die when everybody else instantly disintegrated? It's because the shot didn't even hit her. It hit the bulkhead and flew molten metal in her face. Is what yeah. Happened. Now, on, on the flip side of that, now I'm, I'm with you, but playing devil's advocate here, you could say that that was Vogue slash Tyler releasing his anger at what he's had to do oh. to become, you know, the fact that he's like, she's made me become this. I'm, I'm this human now when all I've ever wanted to do was remain Klingon. And Ooh. so now, and, and he's just like, this is the moment I'm just like, I'm just going to pound on her. And then of course, you know, Lorca comes around the corner and sees that and it helps. I'm, I'm just wondering if the clues that, that we've gotten were a little too easy. What if Ash Tyler isn't Voke, but instead, what if he's an augmented Klingon that we saw in Enterprise, which would tie that together? Yeah. Oh, what if Voke injected himself with the augmented virus? Ooh. Dude, if they even bring up the augment virus into this and completely solidify this into canon, that would be amazing. Also, hello... Lorca has a freaking triple on his desk. So what happens when Ash Tyler goes, all right, I'm reporting to Captain. See, that's that's what I was thinking. I was thinking we're going to get a scene in a future episode where he comes into the office. The triple has that reaction, but I don't think that they know that Tribbles react that way to Klingons. Sure. Yeah, it, I think it will tip the audience off. Yet. Like, it's kind of odd that Lorca even has one, but he's got so many things from so many sources. Like, I don't think he knows a lot about all the things he has. So I don't think, you know, like, he's going to be like, the Tribbles going to be crazy. He's going to be like, what the heck? But he's not going <laughs> to immediately yeah. know that that's a reaction to Klingons. It's Maybe that's something that happens later in the season where a Klingon comes on to the, maybe a Klingon boarding party comes on to the discovery at some point, And when they go into the ready room, the triple goes crazy. And then he's like, Oh crap. <laughs> but, but that would be a, see yeah. how Saru's threat ganglia re- respond to Ash. Uh, that's going to be interesting as well. But that would be a good way to, like you said, like to inform the audience, like we, the audience know that, you know, Tribbles hate Klingons. Oh, it's just, there. there's so many little nuggets. So why don't we move on to the tardigrade and the moral mm. dilemma we have the here. The cuddly bear thing. <laughs> the water bear. <laughs> Firstly, learn from Burnham that the tardigrade's condition degrades each time they jump. Kind of saw that yeah. like, very first time they jumped, she saw it scream out in pain. And you could see it in her face like, oh, gosh, that he doesn't like that. <laughs> and we see at the end of the episode her bringing him a, a treat, basically. You know, like, hey, sorry we had to do that to you. Here's some spores. Here's the good stuff, she says, and, and brings him some spores. So we kind of knew that that was going on, and now we've got three weeks' worth of it in this episode. 
And Burnham goes to tell Captain Lorca, who isn't there, that the creature can't take this anymore. But she tells Saru, and he dismisses her, and the retrieval of Captain Lorca is top priority. So they're going to utilize the Tardigrade for the purpose. Yeah, and for this, I can kind of forgive Saru a little bit, because at this point, the question of sentience had not been brought up at that point. It was just the question of a beast of burden not feeling well, basically, is what it came down to. And unfortunately, in a time of war, as evolved as we want to think we are, that's not going to be our number one priority. And especially for Saru, who made it a point, especially to Michael, that he would do everything in his power to protect his captain, unlike what Michael did. So you know that he's like, okay, yeah, the the tardigrade's uncomfortable. I could give two poops about that because my captain's missing. We're going to do what we have to do. And even when sentience is brought up, he says, okay, that's fine. If, If that's the case, I will still take the blame. That was the moment that I loved Saru. For just a moment, because you saw, like, even through all that makeup and stuff, you still saw in his face, he was like, that's not good. But at the same time, he was still focused on his mission to retrieve his captain. And so he said, he's like, okay, you know what? Yeah, that'll suck. And if that's the case, I will accept the responsibility for that. I will take that on because I'm ordering you to do what needs to be done to save our captain. So I I absolutely loved that moment because, like I said, even through all that makeup, you could still see how that caught him for just a moment, but the focus on saving his captain was still too powerful for him to, to stop doing it, but he did acknowledge it and fully accepted responsibility. He said, if that's the case, then that's on me, but do what I tell you to do. Yeah, I, his I, eyes yeah. are so expressive through the makeup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have to be because you don't really see any facial movement you know besides the jaw moving a little bit when he speaks you really don't get a whole lot of facial expression right but uh yeah the credit to the actor we also have burnham and dr kubler is that how you yeah uh colber 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 uh who isn't the cmo yeah when that comment came up i was like okay so he's not the cmo and then I didn't know if Stamets was the chief engineer, but apparently he is. I was in this huge Twitter thread about Stamets being or not being the chief engineer. Do you want to talk about that now? Uh, yeah, yeah. We can- uh, 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 okay, okay, okay. So <laughs> my, my thing was, and, and I mentioned this later in the notes, but... So, okay, so it says on the display, like his life signs, it says chief engineer. I'm like... But how's that possible? Because he comes from a science background. He wears a science uniform. It is mentioned that he is the one that developed uh, the spore drive and at least the techniques behind it. But is he also going to fix the the regular warp drive that they have when there's a breach? I don't see him doing that. And isn't his badge science? It is. He, he's wearing a science uniform. And the actor has said that he is not the chief engineer, like in an interview. So then that graphic was basically wrong. Right. So they have multiple chief engineers, depending on what they're the chief engineer of. He might be the chief engineer of the spore drive. 
Right. Yeah, so, just like we may or not meet the actual chief medical officer. I mean, come on. Right. Okay. And then they mention Andorian tonsillitis. That means there's an Andorian on the ship. Show me the freaking Andorian. Stop mentioning it's not, Andorians. It's not going to happen. Stop mentioning Andorians for like the past five episodes and freaking show one. They're, I'm pretty sure the word Andorian has come up every single episode, yet we yes! have yet to see an Andorian. And it pisses me off because the Andorians are my favorite alien of all time on Star Trek. And you spent too much money on the Tardigrade. Oh my god! <laughs> Just we get... took the uh, that we took the money that we were going to spend on the Andorian, oh, um, and we spent it on the guy wearing the green suit oh. to show the actors where the Tardigrade was going to be. Well, it, it pisses me off because when when Brian Fuller was still on the show, he tweeted that one makeup thing, and it was clearly Andorian antennae, and I was just like, oh my god, we're getting Andorians! And then, they're literally mentioning them every single episode, the Andorian, 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 uh, as cold as Andorian, hey, Andorian tonsillitis, I want to see the crew member getting the tonsillitis, just show me that! <laughs> We got the Klingons talking about the filthy Andorians. We got uh, yeah. Chris talking about how many Andorians they killed and how they're cold in all the wrong places. Uh, we have a, a case of Andorian tonsil- tonsillitis. I think what we're, what's going to happen is we're not going to see a single Andorian the entire run of this season oh. until like the very end of the last episode. We're going to see one yeah. like, walk by in the background. <laughs> I, I hate you so much if that happens. <laughs> But it's just like when Deep Space Nine, you know, Deep Space Nine mentioned Andorians quite a few times. Like, oh, Andorian Silk and Andorian this and Andorian that. Never saw a freaking Andorian in Deep Space Nine. That's why... Booms was too busy being... <laughs> but he, couldn't be, he couldn't be an Andorian and Weyoun. Five through... What do we What do we see? Weyoun five through eight, I think, in the run of Deep Space Nine? You're right. But uh, either way, stop mentioning Andorians and not showing me one. Damn it. Give me. It, it, Jeffrey Coombs is still around, isn't he? He hasn't died, has he? No, no he's still alive. Good, good, because I want him to have a cameo in. He has to play somebody. Oh, apparently. Somebody Discovery somewhere. He has to be. It's not Star Trek until you have Jeffrey Coombs on your show. Apparently, one of the ships in the battle, the binaries, was the USS Shran. All right. Oh. Oh, very cool. So, nice little throwback, but I still want to see the actor. <laughs> hey, and we don't know how long Andorians live. He just might be a very ancient Andorian by the time of, uh, you know, Discovery. Yep. Back in my day. Hey, back in my day when we created the Federation, I was there. <laughs> yeah. A- anyways, I... My point was is that okay, we got Dr. Kolber, who's not the CMO, and we got Stamets, who's not the chief engineer. So I kind of feel like this whole series is half the crew is just lower decks type people. We got the B squad here, folks. (laughs) Right. So, like, my biggest thing is the chief engineer should be brought in to help them with this issue with the tardigrade. Yeah. Why are we talking to a cadet? Because it's Tilly. Why wouldn't we want to? (laughs) And Tilly is the first person to drop an F-bomb in Star Trek. And at first, when I was watching the episode, I was like, oh, God, I'm, I'm so uncomfortable because Star Trek has never said that. That's like the ultimate swear word. 
But I w- like I thought about it, and then I was okay because it was Tilly that said it. We already know she's superly socially awkward, and when she said it, Stamets gave her this look like, "What the hell did you just say?" Like we're so refined. But then he was like, "Yeah, it is pretty effing cool." So I I can see it because it was a nice bonding moment for the three of them. They were happy about their nerd science. Which, I'm so glad that they did this, like, recap of how the spore drive works. And I loved that statement said that the mycelium network is a discrete part of subspace. So they're already tying it back to Star Trek canon. Because we've seen other forms of of subspace in all the various Star Trek series. Uh, Voyager had some, Enterprise had a few. So I think it's awesome that the Mycelium Network is just another layer of this subspace domain that they've tapped into. Yeah, for sure. It it really ties it, again, back to what I had uh, had said in one of the previous episodes when I, I wasn't able to be on the show, but I had uh, been able to, to give you guys some notes. I love the fact that we're really getting good sci-fi. Mm-hmm. It's not fi-sci. You know, the science comes before the fiction. We get, we're getting the real science. We're getting some real hard science. And then we're just pushing it. That one extra step, one or two extra steps to do what we need to do to push the story along. But we're starting with something real. And that's what's so fantastic about this whole spore drive thing is the fact that it is based on something that, that might actually exist or could actually exist. And it lends that air of credibility that you know you want you know people always talk about star trek being such a hopeful show about something about the future you want to have um well you can't have that if you don't start with real science you can't mm-hmm. have Just, it well <laughs> that, that that may be true especially if you look at the world today but that's why we're escaping into the Star Trek universe and <laughs> not look at that world for a little while. But even still, you know, I've always looked at Star Trek as not just a, a glimpse into what could be, but almost, and I hate to even say this because it ties back into something that we're going to talk about, obviously, because we have to talk about it, but I've always looked at Star Trek as more of a, as a mirror of what could be. <laughs> <laughs> I almost didn't want to say it, but but it is how I feel. It it has always reflected the current times. Nah, reflected. <laughs> you look at the show in the '60s, mm-hmm. and it was addressing real social issues that were happening at the time, and it was showing how, okay, Earth has gotten past this, but other. Other, other societies haven't so here's how we're going to tell them how to fix their societies because we're so much more advanced than them that was kind of the message that was you know we're going to be like okay we're going to pretend that all this bad stuff isn't happening on earth we're going to pretend that people aren't fighting for their rights to you know to exist as as people of different skin colors on earth we're going to pretend that that's all gone and done we've, we've gotten past that but we're going to look at this other planet who who is still fighting about that. And we're going to tell them how silly they are to be fighting over skin color because that's just a silly thing to be worried about when there's so much else going on. And that's that's how the 60s went. And then we get into the shows in the 90s and in the 2000s where, you know, we were really kind of in a, a decent 
time. Socially, we didn't really have as many of those specific issues. So, you know, you look at TNG and it was much more fun because they didn't have as many of those issues to, to deal with. They were able to just tell some stories. And because of the episodic nature of the show, they just told a different story every week and it was tied up and clean, neat. And the next episode, you didn't even need to know whether or not the other episode had happened. You had like maybe 10 episodes throughout the entire seven seasons that even mentioned previous episodes. It, it, you know, they didn't even need to exist. And then you got into Deep Space Nine and things had started, some, some more turmoil had started happening back here in the real world. And so you started seeing that in the show. You started seeing more conflict and more mirroring of that conflict in the show. And, and it really, t- it, it helped to tell the story. And I think we're seeing that yet again. You know, we are in a very, uh, a period of very, very, uh, a lot of turmoil in the world right now. In, in our country, in other countries, just the world in general, you know, stuff isn't going perfectly. And we're seeing that yet again mirrored in Star Trek. We're seeing that here's this, this society that wants to block itself off and be quote-unquote pure and we're trying to fight against that because that's not what we believe in. We believe in inclusivity and, you know, tolerance and acceptance and celebration of diversity. And that's how we're presenting ourselves. And we're trying to fight against this this alien society that doesn't believe in that kind of stuff. Even though, you know, back here in reality, it's our own people. It's, it's our next door neighbors that that believe in this this quote-unquote purity and are not wanting to celebrate diversity and such so it really is just a a a sign of the times you know star trek has always been a mirror of the times that has been created and i think this is no different and i know i've gotten way off topic but (laughs) it's okay so wow we really got off track um what yeah so so. dr Walter, like uh cool <laughs> he he uh, tells uh, the doctor here tells Stamets the issue, and with the help of Tilly, work to find an alternative. They devise a way to use tardigrade DNA to use in a host creature, but they need time to find a suitable a uh, suitable creature. Uh, it just so happens that humans share like sixty percent of their DNA with mushrooms. Who knew? <laughs> sure, like seventy percent with a banana. So I mean, is that really that big of a stretch? I mean, we're we're all a little fruity, so ayo. Uh, <laughs> um, um, but my thing was with with that with that whole thing. There was a little. Uh, there was another Star Trek Easter egg in there, and it's definitely a blink and you miss it. And I think Trekcore was the one who pointed out on Twitter. But one of the DNA strands that they're comparing in that scene is the 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 Caldans or something, and it was the alien species that Wesley Crusher mistook as a human jerk. But they had that web on their between their thumb and their index finger. Yeah, and I was like, oh my god, they went that deep into the lore just just to put an existing species on there, and one of the most ridiculous ones to boot. Yeah. But no, like, again, tying this whole tardigrade to, to, to science, when they overuse it, it expunges 
all of its water content and goes into this, what uh, Kolber said as like a, a, a cryptobiosis or, or something. And I think that's a real thing because tardigrades dry out and, and there's organisms that dry out to preserve themselves for long periods of time. And, oh, it was just every point about the tardigrade was was fantastic in this episode. Yeah, and it's interesting that once the tardigrade's in that dormant state, uh, Saru right away orders them to get it ready for another jump when the time comes. Yeah, and he was so dismissive to to Dr. Kuber. He, he even, like, raised his hands like, hey, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to your your boyfriend over here. <laughs> well, I mean, essentially. Honestly, I believe that played a part in Saru's dismissiveness. I, I believe he wasn't taking Culber seriously as a doctor in that situation. I think he was right. he was more taking it as a, oh, you got your boyfriend to team up on me. You know, you want to say this thing, but you also got this other officer who happens to be your boyfriend to to team up and say it also. So I don't think he was taking him seriously as a doctor in that moment. And I hope that's something that's addressed later on. Yeah. And it's like I almost wanted Saru. It's like, Saru, go down to where the tardigrade is being held. Look at that thing and tell me you don't have a shred of compassion for this creature. True, but I mean, I can understand the situation that he's in. Sure, I get that too, but at the same time, you have all these people telling you how wrong it is. And I know he said, well, I'll accept the consequences. And it did show that Saru was in all this pressure. But at the same time, at some point, you have to stop and say, hey, maybe they have a point. And that that's what caused statements to inject himself and create this whole new problem that we have now. Knew the moment yeah. when Stamets came on the, the radio and didn't acknowledge that the tardigrade was ready. He, he just, just said, said that the drive ready, was ready. Ready to jump. Yeah. And I was like, it's either going to be Michael or Stamets in that box. I, it's going to be one I of those. I said that to Ashley, too. I was like, it's either one of them. Yeah. But Saru did come full circle, and he did redeem himself because he told Burnham, hey, before Captain Lorca is cleared to be the captain again, do me a favor and set it free. Lorca is going to be effing pissed at (laughs) Saru. And that's an understatement. So to me, that redeems Saru by the time this episode ended. And I've always loved Saru. He's awesome. The beginning of this episode, I was like, man, you're becoming a real dick. <laughs> but he completely redeemed himself with telling Michael to set it free. And it was such a beautiful sequence of how they made that effect where it it rises out of the ship and it's glowing and then it grows and it it looks to a faraway distant thing in the galaxy and activates its own internal spore drive and i love that it's the same effect that the discovery used it didn't spin and do all the crazy stuff but there was still that lightning and all of that and i love that and it was just such a great moment and again i'm like my god this show is moving so fast i thought we were going to be seeing this tardigrade for most of the damn show (laughs) so it's 
I, I don't know what to expect week to week. Yeah, it's it's absolutely amazing. And speaking to Saru's growth just through this episode, we're, we're seeing, like we said, he's under this pressure. And his main driving force throughout most of this episode is saving his captain. Yeah. And that's his, 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 his ultimate goal, his ultimate drive. He doesn't care about anything else. And that's why he was willing to make those 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 choices and say it's you know what if that's what happens it's on me you know he didn't care because he was trying to save his captain once it got to the point where he saw the effects that that was actually having that's when he kind of came around was like oh geez like you know what maybe i need to take a step back it's like yes i want to protect my captain but it's also my job as a starfleet officer to protect all life especially sentient life yeah. And what I've done is a bad thing. And so now I need to do whatever I can to to rectify that. And when he orders Michael to 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 fix it, to be like, do what you can to set this thing free, to make it happy, to 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 release it. And obviously now we know that the drive can be used in other ways. It just has some unintended side effects that uh, not everybody knows about. We as the audience know about it. But as of right now, none of the characters know about these other un- unintended side effects yet. So very interesting to see where they go with that, <clears throat> especially once uh, Lorca's back on board and is going to obviously be be wanting them to, to jump all over the place again. Saru and Burnham's relationship was really tested in this episode. He dismissed her opinions. He said that all my instincts, not only do all my instincts tell me that you're dangerous, but your actions prove that you're dangerous as well. And he confined her to quarters. And when he visited her in those quarters, you know, she was even very dismissive. She was just like, yes, sir. Okay. I get it. When they were able to finally have this heart to heart, she asked, are you really afraid of me? And he said, no, I'm not afraid. I'm I'm angry at you. And he said that he was jealous that he never got the chance to be Giorgio's first officer, to, to learn from her, to gain that experience. So he has all this resentment towards her, and she finally gets it. And I thought that was very touching that she gave Saru uh, Giorgio's telescope. And I love that line when she said that you know, I want you to see the world through her eyes, the way that she saw it. It was a really beautiful moment, and I really hope that they can repair their friendship. Because you never really got a sense of that friendship on the first couple episodes. Yeah, they were competitive, you know, and they say in all these interviews that they have this brother-sister relationship. But I really didn't see that until this episode. Yeah, I definitely agree. It was a, it was a nice moment. However, I'm not fully convinced that it was anything more than another attempt by Michael to pacify Saru. I always get this sense that that Michael has repressed her emotions so much trying to be the the Vulcan style that she doesn't really care whether or not she's friends with Saru or not. But she realizes that in order for her to succeed on this ship with this mission, she's going to have to at least have a cordial working relationship with the first officer. Well, so I almost feel as if it's still her just working him, 
act like she did the previous episode when she like says, "Oh, I'm gonna apologize to you. Come on down here." And then what she was really doing, she just she didn't care if he came down there or not, as long as he sent his threat ganglia down there. You well, know? she even admitted it in this episode. She even told Saru. She said, "Look, I know you're the captain in this situation, and I'm not your enemy." I'm just telling you this and he that's why he blows up at her it's like because hey, listen you're treating me as another one of your experiments and not as a person so to your point that leads some very good evidence to that that you know she's still learning even herself what it means to be human yeah wtf of this whole episode what the hell's up with stamets <laughs> the, yeah. the the mirror universe what yeah. What's going on? Yeah, so you must have watched the episode if you're listening to this podcast. Because if but, you're not, too late, because we just <laughs> blew everything up for you. So at the very end, we have Stamets and the good doctor uh, oh. brushing their teeth. Well, he said, oh, my dear doctor. And I was like, oh, that's, uh, that, that's, a, that's a title, dear doctor. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. that's a title from another uh, Star Trek. <laughs> so they're brushing teeth, and the, those two brushes are pretty cool, by the way. It had no bristles. Right, so like a sonic toothbrush. Like a sonic like shower. A completely sonic, not like a, a, not like a sonic air brush, right. which right. really is just a vibrating toothbrush. <laughs> but like an actual sonic toothbrush, like using sound waves to clean your teeth which was pretty cool they kind of just like moved it around their mouth or whatever you, you know what's even cooler about that scene what's that showing the first on screen for for television homosexual relationship in the most intimate way possible is a couple brushing their teeth and talking about the day's events and we didn't get a kiss. We didn't get anything like that. You know, we got some looks and, and some intimate touches, but it felt like such a normal thing that we all deal with. And thank you, Star Trek, for going there. Finally. This is how good that scene was. Like, I didn't even think about the fact that it was, in fact, a gay relationship. Right. Until... After the fact, when I was like reading tweets and people are like, oh, thank you, Star Trek, for showing. I was like, oh, yeah, you know that I, I guess they are both guys, you know, like, <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't matter. Yeah, because right. that wasn't the important part of the scene. It wasn't a hey, look, here's two guys who are together scene like so many shows try to do to to be inclusive. But then they, they always show the sexual aspect of it. It's always right. the kissing or you know they're under the sheets doing things and you know it's it's always so much more explicit whereas this was like you said even more intimate i think than sex mm -hmm. because it was it was showing them just being them it was such a great juxtaposition because we saw them on duty yes disacknowledging their relationship like like he comes you know the the scene where burnham comes in and tries to uh, talk <laughs> and she comes in she's like you are a genius you are amazing you know he's like yeah yeah i know i'm a genius what do you want and why are you with her <laughs> <laughs> well i love leading up to that when um because i think hugh is his first name hugh kubler Kuber, but i'm just gonna call him dr hugh so michael's like well 
I know I know how to handle this situation. And he's like, oh, okay. And, and, and he's like, oh, great. You know, please show me how to do this because I'd love to to know how you do this. <laughs> It was just, it was so great. It was such a great moment. And yeah. it's not saying, hey, this is my lover. It's saying it's all those subtle hints and those looks and the way that they interact with each other on duty that you're like, oh, they're a couple. Without blatantly saying, we are a couple, look at us. And again, brilliant writing. They're they're showing, they're not telling. Yeah, it, it was just a fantastic scene all around because you get to see that that contrast between how they are on duty and how they are back at home. And the fact that it wasn't in your face like, hey, we're going to show them making out for five minutes to prove that they're gay. No, it, it, it wasn't necessary. Right. It, all you needed to do was show them conversing. And it was one of those things where, like I said, it almost needed to be pointed out to me after the fact that it was a same-sex couple. Because other than that, I just looked at it as two people sharing an intimate moment at the end of a day. And it, it, that's what I think, again, you know, we talk about how Star Trek always looks to the brighter side of the future. And even though we're in the middle of a war, we're in the middle of all this fighting, and there is this dark stuff happening, we do still have this moment where we show that, hey, maybe in the future... Mankind has moved on from some of its prejudices. Mm-hmm. Maybe mankind has given up on caring who another person loves. You know, it's just one of those things that it shouldn't matter. I don't understand why it matters so much to some people, yet somehow it does. But the idea, the hope that in the future it won't matter right. is so brilliant. And and the way they showed it was just absolutely wonderful I, I will say we have a long way to get there because some of the comments I've seen directed at the actors themselves are deplorable. Oh, it's it. it I really hope that they're not reading all of their Twitter feeds. Oh, they are. Seen. No. And, and, and Wilson Cruz, who, who plays Dr. Hugh, he posted this big thing on Facebook and it's sad that that even has to be said. And it's like, for the people that are complaining, they're complete trolls at this point. Because oh. how can you watch any episode of Star Trek and still be that hateful? It's, oh, <laughs> it, it boggles the mind. It really does. It, well, it's the same thing as the the people who were complaining before the show came out that it was quote unquote too diverse. I'm like, okay, first right. of all, <laughs> that phrase doesn't even mean anything. And second of all, have you ever watched Star Trek before? I mean, we're talking about the first show that dared put a woman, not just a woman, but a woman of color yep. in, in a powerful, in an important position on the main screen of a TV show. She was on the bridge of the dang Enterprise for crying out loud. The, first, the first interracial kiss in the middle of the civil rights movement. Yeah, exactly. It's, this is what Star Trek has always done. And so for you to suddenly come out and, and, and act like it's something new is absolutely ridiculous. And yeah, it, and like I said, it was presented in such a way that it, it boggles the mind that there are still people out there who complain about it. It really boggles the mind that the people who would complain about it are watching Star Trek. Yeah. I believe that probably 90% of the trolls talking crap on Twitter and whatnot 
probably didn't even watch it. Right. They're, they're probably not watching it out of protest because of it being too diverse or whatever they want to claim. But yeah, they'll, they'll sure jump all over any opportunity to, to bash people for being who they are. And again, it, it's one of those things that this is what I point to when people are like, oh, well, but Star Trek's supposed to be a happy vision of the future. Well, here's, here's a moment that we are looking at. Yes, they are in war. Yes, it is dark and depressing in some scenes because they are at war. They're fighting. They're they're fighting against this evil that uh, is is fighting for purity. I mean, they're basically. I mean, this is basically space Nazis. You know, oh to, yeah. Let's just say it. We're talking. The Klingons are space Nazis. You know, they're fighting for the purity of their race and whatnot. But guess what? We're still showing that as humans, as humanity, as the Federation mm-hmm. has come along, that there are certain things that we don't care about anymore. And that is hopeful. That is where this, the, the hopefulness yeah. of Star Trek lies. And so I'm very, very glad that they, that they threw that in there. And I'm glad that it wasn't just a, a passing, right. like just a random, you know, like they did in, in, in the movies. You know, they gave, uh, you know, they made Sulu gay in the movies. And and that's fine and everything, although I, choosing the one character who happened to have been played by a gay actor in the original series does right. seem a little suspicious as far as your choice goes, but at least they tried. But it was such just a little passing thing. You know, it wasn't, there was no conversation, there was no dialogue about it. It was just, you see him meet up with his husband and his kid, and, and that's it. Boom. Done. And that was great. You know, it was mm-hmm. great that at least that was included. But this goes so much further to show an actual relationship. And they did it in such a, just such a wonderful, beautiful way that anybody who's complaining about this is literally complaining about two people loving each other. And you know what? <laughs> yeah. If that bothers you, then too bad. Honestly, figure out your life because you are <laughs> focusing on things. Yeah. F- figure out your, stop watching Star Trek and figure out your life for real. <laughs> And for anyone to say that this isn't a good Star Trek series, I I have to dismiss you because this episode at the end and this scene in particular shows the core of what Star Trek is about for pushing that hope of humanity and that better vision of the future and that representation matters. And finally... It's represented in Star Trek. It took 50 years, but now it's it's inclusive for the LGBTQ community. And I think that is amazing. And it's, it's small steps, but we're getting there. And I, I hope that someday we'll live in that hopeful future of of what Star Trek strives to be and what it shows us. But... Aside from all that, the biggest WTF, what the hell's going on with that mirror image? <laughs> yes, in, in all this talk about inclusivity and uh, and all that, we, we lose sight of the fact that uh, Stamets walked away, but his mirror image kind of chilled there for a little bit, kind of gave a smirk, and then walked away. It was like, uh, a what? Now, personally, I don't think that is what literally happened. I think that is just a visual cue that they're showing the audience. And they've done this before. Like, there's that one scene in episode three where Tilly's walking away from the station that they're working at, 
and she just disappears. But then you see other people walk in and disappear. So it was just a visual trick to show them that time was lapsing. And I think this effect of of Stamets being in the, the, the mirror, his mirror image staying there, I think that was just another visual type of cue for the audience. Not that his reflection literally stayed there. It was a metaphor. Yeah, I think it's more of a hint of future events. Um, but we already know that there's come on be a mirror. mirror universe. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. We, we already know they've already confirmed that there is going to be at least one mirror episode in this season. I mean, there's press images of Lorca sitting on the bridge of the ISS. <laughs> so, you know, they, they, we know that it's going to happen. What we don't know is how it's going to happen why it's going to happen or what is going to happen when it does. And there's been a lot of theories. We've talked a little bit about, well, possibly uh, Lorca or other characters already have being from the mirror universe. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're so different than the, than the Starfleet characters that we've, we've tended to know. There's also the, the idea that what I would love to see is kind of a flip, like most mirror episodes that we've seen. And this is one of those things that I don't know why they never did any mirror universe episodes on TNG, but I feel well, they did a comic that's out now in in the comics. They did, but in in the actual television series, they never dealt in mirror universe. However, on T on Deep space nine, I felt they overused the mirror universe. However, it was always people from the mirror universe coming to the prime universe. I liked an enterprise where we didn't have a crossover. We just peeked into the mirror universe. No one actually crossed over except the ship. And there was that connection there, but our characters didn't go into the mirror universe. And that's what has me questioning about Stamets is like when we saw Stamets in the chamber is that when they switch places? Because no one else was in engineering. They all yeah. came rushing in. So did the change happen there? Maybe they've already switched places and we're seeing the mirror universe statements right now? That's interesting. So I, I don't know. N- none of us know. But now I'm wondering, is the statements that we're seeing from that point forward the, the mirror universe counterpart? It's it's definitely a possibility. I'm also wondering, though, if it's not possible that Lorca has already been toying with the mirror universe and that Stamets just accidentally stumbled into that when he injected himself with the sure. DNA and, and traveled along the Mycelium network by himself. Because, you know, some of the other cues that we've seen, again, with the black badges and the, the areas that were being blocked off and guarded and the fact that uh, Lorca is such a different... Starfleet officer than anything we've ever seen before, and you know, all sorts of things. Well, even said in all previous mirror episodes, it's always been the mirror universe either coming over to get something they need or taking somebody from our side that they need to do something. It's always the mirror universe come you wanting something from the prime universe. Well, except for the first time in the original series, that was just us stumbling onto it. I think it just would be interesting if if we were actively going to this mirror universe to get things we need or to to do things that we need to do, you know, kind of a flip flop of how it's how it's usually been depicted in the past. 
And maybe there's a mirror universe weapon that they want to take. Well, that that field that Kirk has, that that oh, mirror Kirk yeah. has, that Tantalus yeah. field or whatever the hell that was. Yeah, that that could also explain. I think uh, Aaron, you had brought up the fact that maybe that's where Lorca is getting some of his his little bits and pieces of his menagerie that uh, we haven't seen yet in this prime timeline. You know, mm-hmm. we don't. Nobody's encountered the Gorn yet. Yet Lorca has a Gorn skeleton. Maybe that's because he pulled it from the mirror universe. That's something that you had brought up, Aaron. That uh, mm-hmm. bears exploring. We saw Gorn in the mirror universe in a mirror darkly in Enterprise. They showed a Gorn is right. you know upgraded and radically different, but still. My thing is with with this whole mirror universe thing is that it's great because for people who that haven't watched a lot of Star Trek for the newbies coming into it. This is just really crazy and insane. And I love that the, the, the writers are even dropping other subtle hints because there is that line that Takumba said in the first episode to Vogue that, Hey, you're a mirror image of me. And there's all these other instances like, remember when Michael was looking at her virtual mirror self. Yep. And so there's all these like subtle things that the writers are doing to show that duality and to mention mirrors. And literally in this episode, we see something weird in the mirror. And yeah, as a Star Trek fan, I'm like, yeah, it's it's the mirror universe. Like, come on. E- even <laughs> even if they didn't say, oh yeah, we're gonna do a mirror universe episode. Even if they didn't say that, my thought would have been immediately, oh my god, it's the mirror universe. Like they're they're almost beating us Trekkies over the head with it, but they're doing it in a subtle way that I think is brilliant. This show is written and produced very well. This is great. Can we open up the subspace channels? <laughs> uh, yes, let's uh, do so. And this week's poll: Would you have sacrificed yourself or career for the tardigrade safety? And the Three choices that were given. Yes, it's a life form. Next, we have only if it was sentient. And finally, no, it is the time of war. So, guys, what would you have? What would you pick? <laughs> I actually voted, and maybe I'm kind of a dick, but I said, <laughs> okay. uh, but I said only if it was sentient. Okay. Uh, Mr. Dewey? I actually have to kind of agree with that. I <laughs> Like I said, though, they did point out that the scans that they had done pointed to it being sentient. Yes. So at that point, I wouldn't have waited for the proof. I would have been like, okay, all evidence points to it being sentient, so let's stop doing this. But, uh, yeah, again, in a time of war, I think beasts of burden have always uh, ended up getting the short end of the stick and... Oh yeah, uh, horses and and in that and in that way you could almost think of the tardigrade as a space horse. <laughs> okay, yeah, space horse. <laughs> well, but, but no, you, you you get what I'm saying. Like in a time of war, yeah. especially you know before we had tanks and all that stuff. I mean, horses were used in war like for millennia. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, you could say well, and you know we don't think of. We think horses are very smart, but that still doesn't stop us from, you know, using them as a beast of burden. So I think you can see it from both perspectives, 
But yeah, once you hit that that sentient mark, no, you gotta stop. I so, see. I I picked. Uh, yes, it's a life form because um, you you are the most good of all of us, Aaron. I, I, <laughs> you are I the guess. best, but Aaron, you you really are. <laughs> uh, I, I'm flattered. But uh, let's see what other people said. So we have 56% are like me and said yes is a life form. Followed next with 31% said only if it was sentient. And 13% said no is a time of war. You cruel bastards. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we also have some comments on social media. We have on Twitter, we have at BraverRanger. Who says, without a doubt, I thought that the moment we saw it hooked up to the spore drive, poor thing, I'm happy now things turned out. No, I'm happy how things turned out. Oh, yes, see, I can't read. (laughs) Um, I know. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Next, from Facebook, we have Sophie Claire, who says, yes... Exploiting another creature like that is basically against the core gosh dang <laughs> beliefs of Starfleet and the Federation. I like that little bit of uh, self-censoring there. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, she wrote something else there. Um, <laughs> gosh dang. Forum. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> next we have Ashley Wong Gallo who says yes I would um, she would sacrifice her career good for her Yes. next Eric Chung I believe uh, is how you pronounce the name I don't know if I would have done quite what Stamets did but I probably would have disobeyed orders and tried to save its life I've never had much interest in doing a job I didn't believe is right Mm. Very, very nice comment there, Eric Chung. Next on Facebook, Jerome Connor, who says, Yes, I would. Ideals matter. And finally, from Instagram, Anthony Lombardi says, Yes, it's a life form. Oh, you life forms. Pretty little life forms. I love it. Yep. <laughs> so, Mr. Dewey. Yes, sir. This week, you have something that puts your quantum state into flux. I, I do indeed, yes. What puts my quantum state into flux? Now, I, I, I talked about this a little bit back on the episode where we talked about the first couple of episodes, where we talked about what the, the main complaints that we're still seeing uh, about Discovery are. And it still remains the same. Like even five episodes deep, I'm seeing the <laughs> did, same main complaints. Oh, hold on. Did did you see the, the Star Trek uh, Discovery bingo that I tweeted out? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I yeah. did. <laughs> it's, this, this, has very, this ties right into that for sure. Um, you know, we still see the main, same main complaints. Um, you know, one of the biggest ones, of course, being that the tech looks too updated to be set before TOS. Again... I still say that that's a good thing. If that's the biggest complaint you have, that means you're not complaining about the story. You're not complaining about the acting. You're not complaining about anything else. You're you're complaining about trivial stuff that doesn't matter. So that's okay. Then the other big complaint, of course, is the fact that it's on CBS All Access. That's not what puts my quantum state into flux specifically, though. What puts my quantum state into flux specifically is the overuse 
of a term that I don't think applies here, and that is everybody saying that CBS is hiding Discovery behind a paywall. I freaking hate when people say that Discovery is behind a paywall because that is not what that term means. That's not what it is. I have never once ever heard somebody complain, oh, yeah, I'd watch Daredevil, but it's behind Netflix's paywall. No. I've never heard somebody say, oh, yeah, I'd check out the Grand Tour on Amazon, <laughs> but it's behind Amazon Prime's paywall. <laughs> no. It's a streaming exclusive. Yeah. That's what it is. You pay for it. Yes. That's that's but, the way but, streaming but it's, exclusives are. But it's not a wall. But a paywall was a term coined for news articles that were uh, subject to uh, a subscription for uh, a website to be able to read articles where they would put you, – you'd be able to read a, a few articles, but then if you wanted to read more than a few articles, then you had to subscribe to their service in order to see. And so it was this this kind of wall that was set up that you could get around if you cleared your cache or you went into incognito mode and then you could go and you could you could view these articles because it wouldn't know how many you've already read. And that's where this term paywall came from. But like I said, I've never once heard anybody refer to any of the Netflix original series as being behind a paywall. I've never heard anybody refer to any of the Amazon streaming series as being behind a paywall. I've never heard of somebody saying Game of Thrones. Oh, I'd watch Game of Thrones, but it's behind HBO's paywall. <laughs> no, it's not. It's exclusive to that service. If you want to watch it, you pay that service for it. This happens to be the first streaming exclusive for CBS, yes. That doesn't mean it's going to be their only one. It doesn't mean that there's never going to be anything else that's going to be an exclusive to CBS or an exclusive to anybody else. It, it drives me nuts because it, it, it shows this weird entitlement that people seem to think they have where CBS is somehow required to provide us with free Star Trek. And mm -hmm. I don't understand that mentality. Yes, in the past, Star Trek has been broadcast over the air. That doesn't mean it was free. You pay for it by having to sit through the commercials. You pay for it by having your stories run through advertisers before they get to you. That's how you pay for those. Yeah, you may not have physically put money out of your pocket into the hands of the studio in order for that show to be made. But you paid for it one way or the other. And I think we're getting so much better of a product because we are paying for it directly. They are making the product directly for the consumer. That is us. We are the consumer. We are the ones who are consuming this show. We want it. We want to watch it. And they're making it for us instead of making it for Pepsi or for Doritos or for whoever is buying ad time on the network. They don't have to worry about it. Yeah, they can show us that wonderful scene where we have two men who happen to be in a romantic relationship together having a conversation about their day. Do you think they could get away with that on network TV? Because the stupid advertisers would be like, uh, I don't know if we want to put our name on that. You know, it might offend a few people that might want to buy our products. So I guess, uh, Hey, how about you don't do that? And then we don't get that scene. Mm. I love the fact that because we're paying for it directly, we are telling them we want to see this. We want you to write this. Here's our money. Do it. Write it. Show it to us. It's not a paywall. It is just a different way to create television, and it is fantastic. 
and we are getting better television for it. So stop complaining, but most of all, stop calling it a paywall because you're driving me nuts. I am clapping, sir. (laughs) That was fantastic. I can understand not wanting to pay for it, not wanting to change your viewpoint of how you view TV. And if all you want to watch is network TV that comes free over the air and you pay for it by watching ads, then more power to you. That's your choice. But don't complain about those of us who would rather get a better product by going ahead and physically paying for it directly instead of, you know, through a third-party advertiser who gets to decide what we get to see. Here, here. I agree. Good job, Mr. Dewey. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that pretty much wraps up our episode this week. So, Mr. Dewey. Yes, sir. If we were to look for you on the internet, how would we go about doing that? Uh, I'm most active on the Twitters. You can find me at Eric J. Dewey. I also run uh, various social media platforms for the various podcasts on our network, the 4-Eyed Radio Network, which is at the Sasquatch Net. Uh, you can also find me at the Crichton Cast. Uh, very good. And Mr. Barry, how would we go about finding you on the Internet? I am most active on Twitter and Instagram at trekkieb 47 And you can find my other podcast on the 4-Eyed Radio Network, and that's the Ranger Command Power Hour at Ranger Command PH. Very good. And if you were to look for me, you could find me at Nova Charter on Twitter and Instagram. So thank you all for listening to us babble on for two hours. And just uh, how great the show is, like we said. Yes. 40 minutes of TV and talk about it for two hours. I love it. Yeah. What other show can you do that for? Uh, Power Rangers, I guess. I don't know. Oh, wow. Thank you. Uh, but, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. And come back next week for more. <laughs> Live long and prosper. Trek on. Peace and long life. You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod. Like us on facebook.com slash sfescapepod. And add us to your circle on Google Plus by going to google.sfescapepod.com. Dot com.